0: Following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit IrvingBible.org. So good. Yes. You know, at Irving Bible Church, we talk a whole lot about being formed in the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. And I love, love, love seeing our students, seeing our teenagers lead the way in this regard. So, way to go, you guys. We're so proud of you way to go. (laughs) Hey, we don't often call out specific individuals who are in the room, but we've been praying in our prayers to the people for eight months for our friend Brian, and he is back with us today after eight months. We're so glad. Love you, my friend. It's so good to have you back. Way to go. If you have a Bible or you want to follow along on your mobile app, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 this morning. And I want to begin with a, a simple but, but really important claim, and that is this. That at the heart and center of the spiritual life is our capacity to pay attention. Right At the heart and center of our spiritual life. Is the capacity to pay attention. You know, Jesus said, "I am the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in me." And part of how we abide in Jesus is just pay attention to the reality of His presence in our lives. Paul talked about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is always here, always present in our lives. But our ability to keep in step with the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, and and walk by the Spirit, is about paying attention to the reality. Of his presence at the heart and the center of the spiritual life is our capacity to pay attention. And so it's vitally important. it is of the utmost importance that we pay attention to what we pay attention to. It is of the utmost importance that we become aware of what captures our awareness. That more and more we need to learn to pay attention to what we pay attention to as though our whole lives depended on it. Because they do. Now for some of us this, this isn't really great news because we suffer from personally and I think oftentimes collectively a kind of spiritual attention deficit disorder. Right, that we sometimes really struggle to really pay much attention to anything. And at the heart of the spiritual life is paying attention to God, paying attention to other people, and paying attention to our own souls. And yet we suffer from what the poet T.S. Eliot described as distracted from distraction by distraction. Right? Anybody else experience that? I mean, that is so often characteristic of my life distracted from distraction by distraction. We have so many things around us, so many voices calling our names, so many things vying for our attention, and we live distracted lives. We're in the fifth week of our Lenten sermon series called Beneath the Surface, where we're looking beneath the surface at the condition of our lives, recognizing there are some common spiritual maladies that plague many of us in a world like ours, navigating circumstances like ours, in, in relationships like ours. And this morning we're talking about the reality of distraction. A few years ago, there was a group of, of social scientists that put together a little experiment, put together a little test to be able to sort of track people's capacity to pay attention. And so I want to share with you this little video. This is just a a simple little test that is about um, your capacity to pay attention. Take a look. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Go! All right there it was did you get it? How many did you see? Thirteen, right? Did we get thirteen? So thirteen is the right answer. But here's the question: Did you notice the moonwalking bear? All right? Take a look. Watch the same video. Watch it again. I promise you, this is the exact same video. I had people on my team, we watched this, and they're like, no, 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 that's a new video. No, it is the exact same video. There's a moonwalking bear right in the center of the video the entire time, and yet many of us completely missed it, right? This is actually what these social scientists refer to as inattentional blindness. Inattentional blindness occurs when an individual fails to perceive an unexpected stimulus in plain sight Purely as a result of their lack of attention. This little video was actually put together by people who were working to try to create greater awareness of cyclists on the roads. And all the cyclists in the room said, amen, right? Like the the fact is that oftentimes cyclists can be missed because you're not expecting to see them. And so this little experiment with a moonwalking bear illustrates this idea of inattentional blindness. And it seems to me, That inattentional blindness is one of the greatest challenges in the spiritual life in our world today. At the heart and center of the spiritual life is your capacity to pay attention to God, to other people, and to your own souls. And yet we often find ourselves living distracted from distraction by distraction. And this not only has dire personal, spiritual consequences, it actually has culture-wide impact. Uh, One sociologist, Maggie Jackson, wrote a book a few years ago called Distracted, and the subtitle is very telling. Distracted, the erosion of attention and the coming dark age. Here's what she says. The way we live is eroding our capacity for deep, sustained, perceptive attention. The building blocks of intimacy, wisdom, and cultural progress. Moreover, this disintegration may come at a great cost to ourselves and our society. Our old conceptions of space, time, and place have been shattered. What's more, the waning of our powers of attention is on the verge, is occurring at such a rate and in so many areas of life that the erosion is reaching critical mass. We are on the verge of losing our capacity as a society for deep, sustained focus, In short, we're slipping toward a new dark age. Now, this diagnosis may seem all too doom and gloom to you, and yet I think she's on to something. Because when we lose our ability to really pay attention, that when our attention is eroded, we lose the capacity for focus, for awareness, for reflection, and for memory. And when we lose our capacity for focus, awareness, reflection, and memory, it leads to a corresponding loss of depth and intimacy, judgment, wisdom. So therefore, it is of the utmost importance to pay attention to what you pay attention to. It is of the utmost importance that we become aware of what captures our awareness, And this morning, I want to look with you at this well-known, beloved story in Luke chapter 10 that I think has some helpful insight for us as we reflect on some of its implications. And so if you have a Bible, follow along. In Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, the beloved story of Jesus at the home of Martha and Mary. Verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. and it will not be taken from her. So here's Jesus at the home of Martha and her sister Mary. And we're told right here in the middle of the story, Martha was distracted. The little Greek word here that's translated as distracted is uh, perispao. It's a, a compound word, peri, which means around. And spa'o, which means to draw, like to draw a sword. And it's kind of a picture word, right? That, that it is the idea of our attention being drawn away, being pulled around. And in that, what happens to us so oftentimes in life that our attention just gets dragged in many different directions away from that which we ought to be focusing on. Martha was distracted, she was pulled away from what ought to have been the center of her focus. Now, there's some cultural dynamics from the first century Jewish cultural world that you really have to understand to get the force of what's happening in this story. And first is just the recognition that that when Martha responds the way she does, part of that is not just her sort of personal annoyance that Mary has left her to do all the work on her own, that underneath that, first century readers would have recognized that part of what Martha is upset about is that Mary has stepped out of her space, the space that she's supposed to be in. That is the understanding of the first century world of the women's space, right? That in the first century world, the spaces within the home were sort of divided up. There's the women's space and the men's space. And she sees this and she says, Mary is in the men's space. Jesus, tell her to get where she belongs. And of course, we don't think precisely in the same way. And so we might miss that implication, but New Testament scholar N.T. Wright suggests that this would be like um, if you invited me to your home and I was gonna stay the night in your home and then I grabbed my sleeping bag and I brought it right into your bedroom and I just laid out my sleeping bag on the floor in your room. Right? This would be like, no, 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 no. You're not in the right space. And that's the way that first century readers would have recognized Martha saying, Mary is in the men's space. Tell her to come back where she belongs, Jesus. Tell her that she needs to be with me doing the women's stuff. And uh, she expects Jesus to reinforce this cultural dynamic. And yet, as is so often the case, Jesus doesn't fit within those kind of cultural dynamics and expectations. The, the other cultural background understanding that you have to have is this little phrase that it, when it describes Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet. She sat at the Lord's feet. And, and, and we hear that, and we just sort of think uh, A particular position, a particular posture where she's sitting. And yet there is a sense in which this little phrase, to sit at the feet of, is is a kind of a technical term in the first century world. That a rabbi, a, a teacher, would have his telmadim, his matates, his disciples, his learners. And those who were disciples of that rabbi were said to sit at the feet of that rabbi. It was a technical way of saying they were disciples of that rabbi. Later in the New Testament, we read about Paul. And it says that Paul Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. That's just a way of indicating that Paul was one of Gamaliel's disciples. And a rabbi had disciples. Their job was to be with the rabbi so as to become like the rabbi so as to carry on the rabbi's work in the world. And so what happens when Mary sits at Jesus' feet, it's much more than just a a presence and a posture. This is the presence and posture of a disciple. This is Mary saying to Jesus, Jesus, is there a place for me in your kingdom vision for the world? Jesus, is there a place for me to be your disciple? Jesus, is there a part for me to play in the work that you've come to do? And Jesus, in response to her, says, yes, Jesus' response indicates that this kingdom vision is for everybody. This call, this invitation to discipleship is for everybody and that there is a part for you to play that only you can play. And so Mary sits at Jesus' feet. She positions herself, postures herself as a disciple. So when we look at this little story, I think there are a few observations that we can make together that have real powerful implications for our lives. And so I want to offer you just a few observations and see if they're relevant to your experience. The first one is this: sometimes we must neglect the good to focus on the important. And sometimes we must neglect the good, to focus on what's really more important. And, and the fact of the matter is, that what had Martha distracted wasn't a bad thing, right? After all, somebody's got to cook the supper, right? It wasn't a bad thing that she was distracted by. But what Jesus says is Mary has chosen the better thing, right? That sometimes we have to neglect good things in our lives in order to give our focus, to give our attention to the more important things in our lives. I want to show you an image here on the screen and see if this—if any of you recognize, especially those of you parents, if you recognize this. Do you know what this is? Right? It's a pacifier, right? A passy, sometimes called a binky, right? Maybe some of you teenagers, you remember when you had a binky as a kid. And, and, and the pacifier is something that that oftentimes when a a baby feels some sense of anxiousness, this is the first thing that they reach for, right? And it helps them to self-soothe. But if that binky isn't there with them, then they feel even a greater sense of anxiety, right? It's sort of always with them. Like we had the little clip that we would clip it on so that it was always with them. And, And then if it wasn't there, if it wasn't available to them, it would heighten their sense of anxiety. And of course, then when it came time to really put the binky away... That could be a very difficult, emotional kind of experience. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the adult pacifier. <laughs> yeah. that, that oftentimes, it's the first thing that we reach for. It helps us to self-soothe. right? That, that we want it with us all the time. And if it's not with us all the time, we feel a greater sense of anxiety about it. And, uh, and, and when it comes to really putting it away, that can be a difficult emotional experience. And, and this isn't just me making this up. This is actually a study from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania, and a researcher named Shiri Malumud, who talked about the idea that, that our attachment to our smartphones actually works a lot like a pacifier for an infant, a teddy bear, or a security blanket for a young child. She, she called it the adult pacifier. The average smartphone user unlocks their phone 150 times a day. The average user spends two hours and 51 minutes a day looking at their phone. Over the course of a year, that means that um, that, that is 43 days a year we spend looking at our phones. Extrapolate that out over a lifetime, seven years of our lives, the average user spends looking at our phones. Now, our phones are not a bad thing, but we can become inordinately attached to them, and they rob us so often of the things we ought to be giving our attention to God, others our own soul. Sometimes we must deliberately choose to neglect the good for the sake of the really important. A second observation from the story, sometimes we must neglect the fleeting things to focus on the lasting things said sometimes we have to choose to neglect the fleeting things in order to focus on the lasting thing. Let's face it, the, the meal that Martha was so distracted by was going to come and go. They're unlikely to really remember whatever it is that she put on the table in front of them. I mean, think about it. How, how many meals can you really remember what it is that you ate? Well, one of the best meals that I've had in my life uh, was a number of years ago now, and Kim and I were gifted a gift certificate to the French room at the Adolphus Hotel, downtown Dallas, one of the finest restaurants in in our area. And so we had the opportunity to to eat a meal like we'd never had before. And I mean, it was incredible. The place is gorgeous. We're there together, and, and this is one of the best meals that I've ever had. And yet, ironically enough, I can't actually remember what I ate. Right. It's been a number of years ago now and I know it was one of the best meals that I've ever had, but I don't actually remember what was on the plate in front of me. Here's what I remember. Being with Kim. Right? I remember the, the dress she was wearing. Right? I remember the, the connection that we had as we shared this meal together. The food was fantastic. I remember that much, but I don't actually know what it is that I ate. What I remember is the connection that we shared we shared this meal together. And the fact of the matter is, whatever it was that Martha was rushing around to put on the table likely would have been fairly quickly forgotten. But that what they wouldn't forget was being with Jesus. Right? Because you, you continue reading the story, and it's not long after that that Jesus is taken from them. That sometimes we need. To deliberately choose to, to neglect the fleeting things in our lives, to focus on what's lasting. Have you guys ever heard of poncho shirts? It's a, a, a shirt company for men, kind of a, an outdoors kind of uh, made for guys kind of my age. It's a, a popular brand of shirt, but I wasn't familiar with it until there's a guy that's in my small group, and, and he was really a big fan of the poncho shirt. So, so one day, we're talking about the fact that he's you know, wearing the poncho shirt again, and, and he comes in, and he begins to tell everybody in the small group about this shirt. like He's given the whole, like, it's got this cool collar thing, and there's like a, a hidden pocket. And he's telling us all about all the features of the poncho shirt. Sure. The next thing I know, I open up my phone and check Facebook and Instagram and all over my Facebook page and all over my Instagram feed are advertisements for poncho shirts, right? I never Googled poncho shirts. I never clicked on a link to poncho shirts. It was listening to me, right? Hopefully after hearing the sermon, you go home and then you don't start getting ads for poncho shirts, but I don't know. I think these things are listening sometimes, right? And, uh, And here's the thing, it's all over my Facebook, it's all over, this morning I'm checking and there's the ad for the same shirt, but Facebook isn't selling poncho shirts, Instagram isn't selling poncho shirts, they're selling my attention. You see friends, your attention has become the commodity. These social media companies that have fine-tuned their algorithms and have worked out the psychology to get us coming back again and again and again aren't really trying to sell you something. They are selling you. They're selling your attention to the people who are trying to sell you something. Our attention has become the commodity. And once again, I'm not necessarily anti-social media, but we just have to recognize That it's fleeting. And yet, it so vies for our attention. Social media is less about selling you something and more about selling your attention. And our distractions are robbing us of a deep inner life with God. Gordon MacDonald, in his wonderful book, Um, Ordering Our Private World, captures it this way. He says, we're of an age... In which it seems instinctive to give attention to every cubic inch of life other than our inner worlds, the only place from which we gain the strength to brave or even beat any outer turbulence. Sometimes we must neglect the fleeting to focus on the lasting. And then a final observation from the story. Sometimes we must withdraw from the chaos to be with Jesus in the quiet so that we can re enter the chaos to be with Jesus in the noise. Right? Sometimes we must withdraw, we must disengage from the chaos to be with Jesus in the quiet so that we can learn to enter back into the chaos and be with Jesus. In the noise, let's face it, somebody had to cook dinner, right? Like, they, they gotta eat. Somebody's gotta make the dinner. And Martha, sometimes I you know, feel bad for her because this story's been told over and over and over again, and she's, she's kind of the one like, don't be like that, and yet she's doing something good. Somebody's gotta cook the dinner. And we don't always have the luxury of always living in withdrawal from the chaos of our lives and the chaos of the world. Like sitting at Jesus' feet, that sounds great. We say, but my life has chaos. My life has demands. And I think part of what we need to see from this story is that sometimes we've got to withdraw from the chaos to turn off the demands and to sit at Jesus' feet to really be with him so that we might become like him so that we can carry on his work in the world. But we've inevitably got to re-enter the world. Inevitably. So we must learn to commune with God in the quiet so that we can learn to commune with God in the noise. Uh, there's this classic little book, In the Christian spiritual tradition, um, a tiny little book, you can carry it around in your back pocket and yet is so filled with deep, profound truth. It's a book called Practicing the Presence of God by a monk named Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence was a monk. He lived in a monastery where they disengaged from their work in the world multiple times throughout the day and even into the night to be together, to sing the Psalms, to, to pray, to sit in silence. And yet, there was something born in Brother Lawrence's heart to say, "God, I want to learn what it means to commune with you not just in the quiet of the chapel, but in the chaos of my life in the world. I want to learn to practice your presence so that my work is every bit as much connected to communing with you as my worship." And so we began to cultivate these practices. Practicing the presence of God. Now, interestingly enough, Brother Lawrence's role within that community was the preparing of meals and the washing of the plates, the saucers, the dishes, and he wanted to to make that work every bit as holy as gathering together in the church for worship. He once prayed one famous little prayer in that book. Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. What he was saying is, God, help me learn to commune with you in the quiet so that I can learn to commune with you in the chaos. Sometimes we must withdraw from the chaos to be with Jesus in the quiet so that we can re-enter the chaos, and be with Jesus in the noise. And so, at the very heart of the spiritual life is our capacity to pay attention. We often live distracted from distraction by distraction. I wonder what it might mean for us, even just this week, to try a little experiment to say, just for this week, I'm going to try silence before smartphone. Right? For, for this week, I'm going to be intentional to say, I'm going to spend some time communing with God, sitting in silence, engaging God in prayer before I ever pick up my phone. Carving out that space to just pay attention to God. Because the heart of the spiritual life is paying attention to God, to other people, and to our own souls. It is of the utmost importance that we learn to pay attention to what we pay attention to. It is of the utmost importance that we become increasingly aware of what captures our awareness. We've got to pay attention to what we pay attention to as though our life depended on it, because it does. Let's pray. Father, we this morning just confess to you how oftentimes in our lives we become distracted, pulled this way and that, away from what we ought to fix our focus on, distracted from paying attention to you, paying attention to other people, or paying attention to the condition of our own souls. And Lord, we pray that you would help us. God, that you would help us to um, set aside good things in our lives that, that draw us away from the most important things. God, that you'd help us to set aside the fleeting things and prioritize the lasting things. God, that you'd help us to, to create space in our hearts and our minds and our lives to be with you in silence so that we can learn more and more to be with you in the chaos and noise of our life in the world. For Jesus, you have called us to be your disciples, to trust and follow you, to be with you, to become like you in order to carry on your work in the world. And uh, this morning, I'm mindful of the words of the author of Hebrews who says, let's run with endurance, the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus So often our eyes are fixed elsewhere. This morning, once again, may we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we pause now to reflect on our own hearts before we come to communion to see if there be anything there that we need to bring before you before we partake of these elements this morning. And Father, we thank you this morning for knowing that no matter where we've been and what we've done and what has pulled our attention this way and that, that we can always come back to you and know that with you we find grace, we find forgiveness, we find acceptance, we find love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We remember that as we partake of these elements this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.